We'll start off with a story as found in a book I've been reading called The Power of Christian Contentment, which has been a theme of our church for the last few weeks. It goes like this. The stone had been formed in the depths of the earth centuries before it was found, transformed from worthless carbon by unimaginable temperatures and pressure. It had been driven down to the surface of the earth by tectonic forces and had made its way down various tributary streams until it came to rest at the edge of the uh, Abitenzino River in Brazil. No one could know actually how long it had been there, unrecognizable, covered with mud and sand. It looked like any other stone, but it was precious beyond words. In 1990, a Brazilian farmer needed some water for his fields, and he stooped down to get it. The stone somehow caught his eye, and he scooped it up, dripping and dirty. There's no way that the farmer could have known he had just discovered the world's largest red diamond in all of history. 13.9 carats in its rough form. Now, all diamonds are rare, but red diamonds, they are the rarest of them all. This red diamond would be eventually cut into triangular shape, weighing 5.11 carats. It's shown in this picture here. And it is known as the Museif Red Diamond after the collector who purchased it in 2001. Now, the sale price was undisclosed, but it estimates its value at $8 million. This amazing red diamond is exceedingly precious, clearly, for $8 million. However, an immeasurably more precious jewel is known as the rare jewel of Christian contentment. In the year 1642, a pastor named Jeremiah Burroughs preached a series of sermons on Christian contentment. You can actually find the book in paperback, so I've read through that. A series of sermons on this theme of Christian contentment. They were gathered in 1648, two years after his death. Now, modern day, a modern day, a man-centered approach attempts to live within the supernatural state of contentment has time and time again left us defeated, discouraged, and some of us depressed. That's because every day we are bombarded with the lies which our great enemy desires for us to believe about what contentment should feel like, look like, and be. Every day we face another struggle to be at peace with who God has created us to be, who God has called us to be, and what God has called us to do. And here is why. I think we can all agree with Pastor Burroughs all those many years ago that Christian contentment is a rare jewel which very few will find. That was in the 1600s, and remember at our church we usually say people don't change, we just get iPhones. Okay, so time over time we've always been the same. Every human has struggled with the great things that every generation struggles with. Two weeks ago I preached a sermon about the rare jewel of Christian contentment, and then last week I was gone preaching at one of our supporting churches, and I preached to them about contentment, and then I will continue that theme today. Next week I'll stop, okay? So you've had enough, I'll stop. Because I believe the Christian lives within this constant struggle to discover true contentment, true contentment in our life. Now, that helps to define it. Christian contentment as defined, uh, and if I read you the definition of the dictionary, it'd be like a way to feel satisfied, a way to feel at peace. See, many things in our life make us feel like that. So the definition of Christian contentment is a little bit different. And as I read you this definition of what Christian contentment is, It is important for us to know that contentment, I'm going to say that word a lot, so just, I'm hoping I'm not stuttering. Contentment is considered a rare jewel of the Christian faith because it cannot and will not be discovered anywhere else except within the Christian faith. Two weeks ago, I said that actually the word contentment is a Christian word because all other things in this world are temporary things that provide contentment, 
but they will all rust. They will all pass away. Sure, we will find a measure of contentment with the food that we eat, the clothes that we wear, the community we live in. We may even discover a contentment in the things that will satisfy us, but they're all temporary. Discovering contentment in these areas of life can be a great thing. If you're happy with where you are, what you're wearing, what you're eating, some of your family members, you don't have to be happy with all of them. If you're happy with some of them, then you should be thankful. We should have an attitude of gladness and of thankfulness in our life. That is the Christian worldview. But the true understanding of contentment is not necessarily found in things that found that which can be seen. Contentment cannot be seen. We have to look to what is unseen. True contentment is receiving God's fullness by the power of the Holy Spirit, is receiving all of who God is. So Jeremiah Burroughs, the guy who preached the sermon, he defined Christian contentment in this way. He said, in the most strict sense, contentment is only attributed to God because he has said of himself, he is God all-sufficient. God is absolutely all-satisfied with himself and him alone. He rests fully satisfied in and with himself. We want God to feel that way. It's not narcissistic. It's not egotistical. It's actually really, really good that we worship a God who finds glory in himself and himself alone. He doesn't get his glory or his contentment from any outside thing. It is within him. However, this is what Pastor Jeremiah says, but he freely communicates this fullness to us, to his creatures, so that from God in Jesus, the saints, that's the Christian, can receive Christ in all of that God wants for them. They can receive Christ in all the fullness of this measure of contentment. Here's the big idea this morning. There's going to be a big idea. There's going to be a main point in like 17 applications. But we only had one service, so they said I could preach for an hour and a half. <laughs> Christian contentment is being fully satisfied with God, who has freely given us all of himself through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is Christian contentment. Fully satisfied with God and with God alone. This big idea kind of leads us to an objection or a, a confusing thing about our Christian faith. Because what I believe to be the most understood truth about the Christian life is this. And those who follow Jesus do so in order to be blessed in this life. That's what many people may think you have become a Christian so you would receive God's blessing. In fact, this is how our faith is often described and communicated to those around us. And this is not the core of the Christian life. Because you see, by grace alone, the Christian believes in what God has accomplished through his son, Jesus Christ. And because God's great love for us, we get the best blessing of all. We get a relationship with him. If nothing else, you must rest in the fact that you are a Christian and the biggest, best, most important blessing of your life is that you know God. If that's all you had, that would be enough. If that's all you had was God's word in your heart, his spirit indwelling your body, if that's all you had, it's hard for us to live in this culture think of that's all we have. We have many things. We have many uh, resources, but if that's all we had, that would be enough. The blessed, best blessing of all, a relationship with God who is fully satisfied, satisfied within himself and then who freely gives us the power to live a new life which is fully satisfied in him. That's the Christian blessing. Now, here's where we often get confused. We often think the lever is the, uh, the gospel is this lever. The good news of Jesus Christ and the cross and an empty tomb and a Holy Spirit, we often think that it's a lever we pull so blessing would come down. And the gospel is not a decision you make. 
so that you will receive all different types of prosperity. The gospel is not a belief system you can subscribe to so your family would just get along (laughs) or your wayward children would come home or the sickness and disease will pass by your house or maybe money would flood into your bank account. The gospel is not a lever we pull so all those things would happen. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. The gospel is the good news that Jesus came to save sinners, of which I am the worst. It's good news about how God, through his son Jesus Christ, is reconciling the world to himself. No longer counting sins against anyone who would believe in his son. Because Jesus became sin for us. Now, in this monumental, earth-shattering, reconciling work, God has blessed us in every way which he has blessed his son, Jesus Christ. Mainly, he has blessed us with the relationship with him. He has provided the power to live fully content because we are given the power now to live fully satisfied within a relationship with God. Friends, if everything else were to go away, if everything were to be taken from us, if our very lives would be taken from us, the Christian blessing is this, is that we know God. Now, that sets us up for a main point. So, big idea, Christian contentment. When we say the word contentment in our faith, that means we are fully satisfied with God, fully satisfied with who he is, and he has freely given us all of himself through our faith and through the work of Jesus Christ. Main point, here's where we're going to start to be a little bit more definitive here. Here's the why behind it all. By the grace of God, the sinner turned saint now embarks on a lifelong journey to discover this Christian contentment, which is a rare jewel because it is hard to find. And it's the discovery of this rare jewel that has the power to provide everything this world cannot. That's our hope. That's where our joy comes from. Jeremiah, he says, he defines this rare jewel as this. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, and gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit, which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. I'll say it this way. Here's the main point. Christian contentment is a peaceful mindset, a life in full submission to what God has chosen for you. Now, that is really tough. That's a challenge. Because everyone, every single person, everyone in here has walked through those doors with a different burden. There are things happening in your life which most of us don't understand because they've never happened to us. And so when I tell you that Christian contentment means that you have a peaceful mindset towards those burdens and you are fully submitted to those burdens because God has chosen them for you, we will have some natural sinful objections to that. We don't like that. But Christian contentment is something that can be discovered. And I would argue that in our, in our desire to discover it and learn it, as Paul said, man, I think that really changes the way we live our life. It changes how deep something affects us. It changes how we heal from trauma. It changes how we treat other people who are going through trauma. It puts the world in the correct lens, in the right perspective. Because I think all of us would say life isn't necessarily the fairy tale we always see in the movie. It's just not the way it is. Christian contentment is a peaceful mindset, a life in full submission to what God has chosen for you. So here's what we're going to do. 
We're going to spend the remainder of our time, and we're going to look at these, these different aspects, the sweet, quiet, inward, gracious frame of spirit, and then we're going to figure out how we can discover to be that way in our life. We're going to look at different aspects of the Christian contentment and how it produces these things in the life of the Christian. And so I'm going to position these four points in this way, a content spirit. If you have discovered contentment, you have a spirit which is learning how to live in full submission to God's plan, and it is sweet. It is a sweet kind of spirit. Now, sweet, it's the opposite of bitter. That's the first thing we can think of. It's the opposite of bitter. Sweet is inviting, and it is joyful. All the rugged men are like, get on. I don't want to talk about sweet. Just be patient. But sweet is the opposite of bitter. I haven't really unpacked this point, and most of you have pictured someone you know who has a sweet spirit about them. They're inviting. They're gracious towards others. You desire to be around them because they make you feel better. These are the people who epitomize what Psalm 62, 1 says, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. For God and for God alone, my soul waits, even in the midst of tragedy, my soul waits in silence. This is the spirit of someone who has... um, This is the spirit of someone who, when tragedy strikes, is not writhing around in anger. Someone who is not like that storm-tossed ship at sea. This is the spirit of someone who does not only appear to be waiting on God to get them through the storm, but whose attitude and actions match their inward disposition. This is someone who grieves because of what has happened in their life. Grieving is healthy, but who is also submitting to God's plan for their life. They hate the ugly curse of this world and all that it brings, but the hope, but they also hope in the restoration to the original beauty when Christ returns. One of the things we often forget to think about is sort of the end goal, if we put it that way. Not end game, that's different. The end goal. When Christ returns and the new heavens and new earth are established and restored. And it seems so distant because we can't even fathom a world with no sickness or disease or tears or abuse or sin. It's just hard to even put ourselves there. Someone with a sweet frame of spirit is content. They hate the ugly curse of this world, but they hope in the restoration of its beauty. I mentioned earlier, a sweet spirit is the opposite of bitter. Let me warn you about bitterness. The longer your soul remains bitter, the deeper its roots grow into your heart. Hebrews 12 speaks of this root of bitterness, which has the power to defile not only you, but those around you. I'll say this about bitterness, and I I am am not at all standing in judgment over you or trying to make you feel worse about your bitterness, because many of us are extremely bitter at times in our life. But I am pleading with you to walk away from that life because it is slowly and deceptively destroying your soul. I am pleading with you to trust that what has occurred in your life will be used for God's glory and for your personal spiritual growth. I understand you may not like how it feels now or in this very moment. However, As a young man named Joseph once told his brothers after they attempted to kill him and then later sold him into slavery, he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That's a powerful phrase. Sweet frame of spirit. Contentment is found in a sweet 
frame of spirit. And this means a sweet, inviting, patient, trusting spirit is inward. A content spirit is inward. That's the second one. Jeremiah Burroughs said, if the attainment of Christian contentment were as easy as keeping quiet outwardly, it would not need much learning. This means we're not going to sign one another up for acting classes. If discovering contentment just meant you were okay on the outside, everybody would discover it really quick. It wouldn't be rare. But this means as a church, we will not sign one another up for acting classes. We are never encouraged to just simply put on a smile and move on. That's bad advice, by the way. This means contentment is the, isn't a hard issue. It is inward. It must first find its way to your heart. It is something we must learn at the innermost parts of our heart, mind, and soul. And this learning comes when we allow the Spirit of God to do His work in our lives. When, he allow, when we allow the Spirit of God to teach us, to convict us, to encourage us, to comfort us, we will, maybe for the first time, be able to recognize the power of contentment in our everyday lives. A content spirit is inward, which means a content spirit is also genuine. We're not hypocrites. So don't put on a happy face if you are not happy. It's okay. But also, don't lash out and writhe around as the demons did when Jesus cast them out. Be okay with not being okay, but don't freak out. Yes, grieve. Yes, ask why. Yes, yes. <laughs> not worse than Kenny. Get to your friend like Kenny. He makes me feel so amazing about myself. He's just like the best. Yes, grieve. Yes, ask why. Yes, be angry. But we don't sin in our anger. We turn towards God in our anger, and we trust that his ways are above our ways, and we see in part, and he sees in the whole. That's really tough. So that's why to discover Christian contentment, we don't look to things that are seen that will rust and fade away. We look to things that are unseen. Be present in the moment when someone is hurting. Just be present in the moment when someone is hurting, sharing a word of peace with them, or simply just sitting next to them. Never underestimate the power of just presence, please, with your friends and your family. Just sit next to them. Be present in the moment when someone is hurting, sharing a word of peace with them. Be ready to support one another when pain and suffering make their arrival, because it will come. I share at the church I preach at like an hour away, both of their um, locations. And at the second location, I, I added a little bit more than my notes allow me to. And remember, that's kind of dangerous. That's why I try to stick to the script. But I realized, maybe for the first time, that I am 36 years old. Not that, but you get, I'm going somewhere. <laughs> that I'm 36. I have a wife who loves me, even when I absolutely do not deserve it. I have five kids that are healthy. I've had four parents raise me with absolute tremendous love, and then I got married, so I got six of them. I have amazing friends. I have a warm house in the winter and a cool house in the summer, and sometimes I eat steak. I have had absolutely very minimal death experience in my life. You know, grandmas who've lived to almost 100, they deserve it. They deserve to see their Savior, don't they? And then I thought while I was preaching, I haven't even experienced suffering. That really freaks me out. 
Because everyone that was in that audience when I said that kept nodding their heads when I said, and I know it's coming. And they were like, yep. Because we've lived twice as long as you, and it will come. See, friends, Christian contentment just doesn't mean everything is going to be okay. But I would say part of being content is learning how to deal with the suffering before it comes. Being ready to trust in your God who sees in the whole and not in the part as we do. Let us be a church who counts it a privilege to sacrifice time for those who need a brother or sister to talk to, to pray with, or simply just to be with. A content spirit is inward. It starts deep down in your heart and in your soul. Number three, a content spirit is quiet. And this is connected to what I mentioned earlier. A content spirit is not tumultuous. It's not churning or noisy or angry or murmuring or complaining or adding all those other words that we actually love to be at times. A content spirit will not respond to absolutely everything they disagree with on social media. I can repeat that. It will not pick a fight or remind everyone that they don't agree with them at every turn in life. In fact, I would argue a person who is learning the power of Christian contentment has very little desire to be caught up in the drama of a narcissistic or apathetic conversations which are happening at an alarming rate as I speak right now over our phones. A content spirit has no desire to be involved in that. It's quiet. You see, the world thrives on drama and murmuring and anger and churning and complaining. But the Christian spirit is a content spirit, and it is quiet. And it is, a quiet spirit is still under the hand of God. It is still. It is at peace. A Christian spirit is like the storm that Jesus calmed when he said, peace, be still. And nature obeyed him. A quiet spirit sports that revolutionary type of bumper sticker that says, peace, be still, which is a foreign concept in our world. We're not told to be still. We're told to lash out and share your opinion and get the upper hand and shout louder or type faster. One thing that was told to me, I would say in my younger years, but it was just last year. (laughs) So I'm going to admit something to you right now. I was told to never underestimate the power of an unexpressed thought. That hurt. I understand what they were telling me. Never underestimate the power of an unexpressed thought. Meaning, not everybody needs to know what you think all the time. Number four, a content spirit is gracious. You see, when I say these things, I think we desire to go to that place, don't we? We desire to be not hypocrites, but inward. You know, we desire to understand our soul and our spirit. We desire to be quiet, at peace, no matter what happens in our life. But this stuff must be learned. It's just not instant. The Apostle Paul, he said, when he wrote his letter to the Philippians, the church in Philippi, it's in your New Testament, he said, I have learned in all things to be content. He didn't say, it's finally happened. I got the full measure of contentment, and I just had to wait my turn. He said, I have learned I have learned to be content. That means you got to learn it and you got to stick in it and you got to try and you got to persevere because that man lived through a lot of things and he was finally able to say later that, oh, now I have learned what it means to be content in all things. It takes time. It's not instant. 
A content spirit is gracious. And we often define the word gracious as someone who is well-mannered or polished. But a content spirit is not resting on that simplistic definition of grace. What it means is this. It means I'm going, a content spirit is, is a, I'm going to rest in the supernatural state that can only be achieved because of sovereign grace of God. I'm going to rest in the fact that only God's supernatural grace and cooperation with my heart, because apart from the work of Jesus Christ and the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, it is impossible. A content spirit is gracious. A content spirit is a supernatural state that can only be achieved because of the sovereign grace of God working in cooperation with my heart and the power of the Holy Spirit. Generally, we preach here expositionally. It means we take a text and we work through it. Ken read to you earlier from John chapter 14. I'm actually not really preaching from John chapter 14. It's more of a topical approach. What I'm doing is drawing things out of the Bible. That's legal too. God's okay with it. But chapters 14, 15, and 16 is all about God sending the helper, the Holy Spirit. And I think we forget about what God has done for us. You know, like the decision to follow Christ and being baptized in a tank of water, that's not the final destination. That begins the process of discipleship of following Christ. And we can't do any of this without the indwelling power of God's Holy Spirit. I'll go one step further with being gracious. A content and gracious spirit is only possible to obtain when the Christian abides in Jesus as a branch abides in the vine. And nothing about this supernatural way of living is natural. It wouldn't be supernatural if it was natural. You will not learn contentment if you are simply a chill person. You will not learn contentment if you develop this laid-back kind of personality where nothing's a big deal, and you keep telling everybody that, because there are things that are a big deal, so that's annoying, just so you're aware. You're not going to learn it if you just have this laid-back type of personality. Contentment will never be discovered by turning over a New Year's Day resolution. Contentment will never be found by setting out for greener pastures. It's not how we learn it. Content spirit is gracious because it is constantly not looking to something new or, or laid back or mellow. A constant spirit is gracious because it is relying on the on work of God, ongoing work of God in your life. That's how it's gracious. So let me sum that up, summarize that, and then I'll end with, I'll begin to end with a few things here. So contentment is a mindset produced by the sovereign grace of God in Jesus, and it is characterized by four things. Sweetness, not bitterness or sourness. Genuineness, genuineness, is that a word? Genuineness from the heart, not acting or hypocritical. And quiet, not murmuring or contentious. And it is gracious, not bragging about what it has become, but thanking God for all things. Now, I don't want to end this sermon by simply placing a burden upon your shoulders because everybody just heard those things and thought, well, that's not me and I can never do it and I suck. (laughs) Don't you often feel like that when someone's like, read the Bible and you read it and you go, well, I can't do that. (laughs) Guess this ain't for me. (laughs) Happens all the time. That means we're preaching law, right? So the Bible is never full of, you know, good advice. It's full of good news, which means there's got to be good news in here somewhere. Well, there is good news in here. I do not want you to leave here with a heavier burden on your shoulders hearing from Pastor John that you got to be somebody you're absolutely or not this morning. That's not helpful. 
There is no good news about Christian contentment if it is positioned as something you must accomplish if you want to be blessed by God or if you want to live a full spirit-filled relationship with God. There's no good news about that. But, which is the best word in the Bible, but because you have believed in Jesus Christ for your salvation, you have been blessed in every way that Jesus Christ has been blessed. Therefore, even when, even though, all hope seems lost, true contentment can be learned. This is because on the cross, God exchanged all of who you were for all of who he was. Many years ago, the, the people that are long dead and gone said it was the great exchange. That's how they summarized the Christian faith, the great exchange. On the cross, God, or Jesus, the Son of God, took all that was dark and sinful about you. He took it all. Sin demanded a punishment and a payment, and Jesus took it. And then he gave all of who he was to you. He exchanged. And this is why we must pursue contentment, because God has provided the power for us to learn it, and he desires for us to live in it, and he desires for us to, to find that rare jewel which only he can provide. You see, God never says, be content, and then I'll bless you. That's not what he says. Instead, God has said, for those who believe in my son as Savior, I have blessed you in, every, in all things. Now go and pursue contentment. You see, we do things because of what God has done for us, not so we will get God. So how do we learn or discover this Christian contentment? How do we learn to approach situations differently, have a quiet frame of spirit, have an inward type of contentment? have a sweetness about us that although the world is crumbling around us, somehow people can recognize God is working through us. How do we get there? Here's a few things. Uh, I think there's two, but then there's like some sub points, so I kind of cheat, okay? So number one, become a skilled Christian warrior. That's number one. We all must learn this. Become a skilled Christian warrior. Fight the constant waves of discontentment in your life. Fight them. No, you just are going to have to fight them. Fight the constant waves of Christian contentment. There's this obscure, obscure, obscure hero in the Bible. So happy there's one service because I could not stutter that twice. There is this obscure hero in the Bible called Shamgar. He's, you know, like, he's not really known that well. It's not the Bible story you pick up and read. Hey, let's read Noah and Shamgar. It just doesn't happen. But this guy killed 600 enemies of God with something the Bible calls an ox goad. It's nothing more than a sharpened stick. And how did he do this? One at a time. That's exactly how he did it. He was a warrior for God's people. He had nothing but a sharpened stick. He defeated God's enemies one at a time. That's how we defeat discontentment in our lives. One scenario at a time. In the same way, Satan, just as the enemies came against Shamgar, the Satan will come at you in, in waves. He will attack your contentment in waves. But do not worry. God will not allow you and has not allowed anyone to be tempted beyond what they can bear. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That's a promise of God. That's a tremendous promise to think about. 
We will never face a temptation in which God will not allow a way out. Don't get this twisted. I'm not saying God's not going to give you more than you can handle. That's a lie, because sometimes it feels like it nearly every day. Amen? Don't believe that either. What the Bible does say is that God's going to not tempt you beyond what you can escape by his power. We engage in a daily battle with our flesh and our sin, so we need to fight the temptation to become discontent with God. We've got to be a skilled Christian warrior, one thing at a time. We must know that there is good and there is evil, there is light, there is dark. We must realize that we do have a great enemy. His name is Satan, and he's far more powerful and, and um, cunning and skillful than you are. Don't rebuke him. Don't cast him out in Jesus' name in your closet. Just run the other way. You're not equipped for that. Run the other way. Be a skilled Christian warrior. Number two, daily disciplines. Daily disciplines, right? This is the pastor telling you to read your Bible, but in a really good way, okay? So become a skilled Christian warrior if you want to learn how to be content. Number two, develop daily disciplines. God has established a rhythm for his people. He's given us a rhythm. The, the author of Lamentations said, his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And what does that mean? Well, that means each new day starts with God's mercy upon your life, which also means there's another opportunity to learn the secret of contentment. Night comes, and then next, the morning. We're always given a new opportunity to begin a new rhythm of learning contentment with God. But we need to instill these daily disciplines in our life. Here's, our, here's the rally cry you need to have. And don't worry about, just tell yourself this, don't worry about obeying God tomorrow. Okay, I know some of you, that freaks you out because you're planners and you, you're thinking three weeks ahead already. Don't worry about obeying God tomorrow because it's not here yet. Obey God today. One day at a time. One hour at a time. Sometimes one minute at a time. Commit your life and obey God today. Tomorrow hasn't come yet. When tomorrow comes, you'll figure that one out. Here's what you can do today. Read the word of God every day. It's the same advice you've been getting since you showed up at this church. And I can tell you, if we do believe that this is the inspired, truthful, without error, word of God, the only word of God, 66 books written over a span of 1,400 years, 40 different authors, all pointing to one major event, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then read it. Because through these words, your God's heart for you is revealed. His plan for the world is revealed. The depth of your sin and the weight of his salvation is revealed. Some of you really are so, like, you're, 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 you know, you're just spinning in circles, and I know how that feels. And sometimes this is really oversimplistic for some people, but here's what I tell people sometimes. When you can't get a grasp, when there's nothing to hold on to, and you don't know what to do, sit down and read the Bible every day. Just read the same chapter every day for a month for a week, for an hour. Just do it. Because the Bible says of itself, it is living and it is active. These aren't just empty words on a page. We don't follow cleverly devised myths. We follow God and he has communicated to us through his word. This is a life-giving book. And I will tell you that if you commit yourself to reading it, you will develop a content spirit. Number two, memorize verses to help you in the moment of temptation. 
and your temptation to be discontent with your entire world around you, memorize verses that help you battle that. Speak the word of God into your life. Number three, abide in Jesus and stay close to him at absolutely any cost. Now, the world would desire to pull you away. They'll give you a new direction to go. Some new trend will start. All this new stuff is going to pop up. It happens all the time. One thing has stood the test of time. God has. Since the very beginning. God's word has stood the test of time. Number four, train your heart to be disgusted with discontent. Oh, this is a really hard one because we like to be discontent in the moments when we want to be discontent. Nothing feels better than just complaining when you're angry. It's amazing. Now, you can't keep that up day after day after day. It's exhausting because you have to like not only match the level of your anger, but you got to like go bigger, you know. It's tiring. Being angry is tiring. Train your heart to be disgusted with discontent. And this isn't like uh, Western civilization guilt. You live in America, suck it up guilt. That's not what I'm saying. But instead of being discontent with where you are, focus on what God has brought you through or brought you to or what he's offered you or given you. Plenty of things to be thankful for. And then number five, pray every day that God will give you this supernatural contentment, that he will allow you to experience what it's like to be fully satisfied in a relationship with him and with him alone. If all else fails, if all else rusts, if all else fades away, if everything around you crumbles, and if God is still there, would that be enough for you? There's this book I read. It's called God is the Gospel. It basically says, it poses the question this way. If you could have heaven with everything you've ever loved and all of your best friends and all the food and no sin and all the peace and all, I don't know, all the whatever you like there, that's not sinful, the good stuff. But Jesus was not there. Would you want to be there? That's a really tough question for us to answer. If you could live in absolute peace with no sickness, no tears, no pain, no death, all my family, all my belongings, everything is peaceful, but Jesus was not there. Would you want to be there? See, when we pray for supernatural contentment, what we do is the opposite. We say, I don't care if anything's there, but if God's there, I want to be there. That's what supernatural contentment does. I'll end with this. None of this is possible without the supernatural work of salvation in your life. You see, without faith, without belief in Jesus, you will never, you will never learn or discover contentment. And every single one of you will frantically search for something to fill your souls. You will. We will all frantically search. I will. You see, I, I have to write this message and then live it and then give it to you. So I'm like, Two steps ahead, okay? I'm not far away. I'm just a little bit ahead of you because this has been convicting me since Thursday. I don't even want to preach this because I don't want to do it because I want to be discontent. But none of this is possible unless you have faith in Jesus Christ who has the power to provide Christian contentment. And the more I learn to be content, the more I realize how restful it is because it's really exhausting living in constant discontentment. The level of disdain and anger you have to maintain towards everyone and every situation, every situation is so demanding. But you see, when Jesus says in John 14, Ken read it earlier, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. You see how he did that? 
I give you something the world will never be able to offer you, and it's my peace. Peace I leave you, peace I give you. I don't give you something the world can give you, so not, not, do not let your hearts be troubled. That's the promise of our Savior. Christian contentment is a rare jewel because we often get sidetracked by the lies of the enemy. So I'd pray as a church that we would, we would become really good warriors. We would fight the temptation to be discontent. Start with the small things and then graduate to the larger things. And just know that the Spirit of God is abiding in you and indwelling your life. You have the power to reach the point where although the world is going to crumble around you, you will have a quiet, gracious, content, inward, and sweet frame of spirit. Amen? Let's pray.